Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 100th episode of the Crux of the Story podcast. To mark uh, the moment, we're going to hear from three of today's leading communications experts whose audiences, like ours, is made up of the world's top communicators. Our topic will be, what topics and issues should communicators be addressing and discussing as we deal with constant change in our profession and a seemingly endless succession of economic, political, and social challenges for the people we work with? But first, I think Mike and I should reflect on this really momentous moment in public relations history, the 100th episode of The Crux, which started in 2019 after we both joined the faculty of Boston University's College of Communication. Mike, any reflections on this national holiday? What has made our podcast so damn good that it's now in its fifth year? Well, first, I think it's a, it is a big deal. 100 episodes is something to be proud of. Uh, you know, Game of Thrones only had 73 episodes. Mad Men only 92. Um, I only wish we had a tenth of their budget. Uh, but I think really our success is due in some measure to the terrific grad assistants that have served us so well. Uh, on all these different episodes. They make us sound better than we do in real life. Uh, probably part of it too, Gary, quite frankly, is they don't have to look at us. Uh, you know, uh, I've told others we have faces for radio. Oh, that's for uh, sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we also have a fairly loyal audience that includes, you know, corporate communicators, CCOs, CMOs, journalists, academics, and others. And while our largest audience is in the U.S., we've taken note that we also have significant following across Canada, Europe, and parts of Asia and Australia. I also think it's because of some terrific guests, you know, from we've had editors, we've had publishers, we've had authors, researchers, academics, um, even a documentary filmmaker and a White mm -hmm. House photographer. Well, exactly. All right, let's let's <laughs> Stop talking about us and get to get to our guests. Two of our guests, by the way, have podcasts of their own. All three, as I said, are communications expert experts who whose work reaches top communications professionals. Joining us is Eleanor Hawkins. Eleanor authors the weekly Axios Communicators newsletter, where she covers top topics and trends that impact how leaders, brands, and employers communicate. Like Mike and I, she spent her early career working in politics, where she was a press secretary to a U.S. senator, and prior to joining Axios, worked at PBS in her current role. Eleanor also has done a fair amount of study and analysis of podcasts and how they are being used increasingly by corporate entities. We also have Russell Sherman with us. Russell is an old friend and a partner at Prozic Partners and is the host of the podcast Press Profiles, where he interviews journalists about their backgrounds, careers, and business news, the business news industry. Earlier in his career, he was a reporter and anchor at New York One. All of us New York political types remember New York, New York One, and uh, New York City television station. He also worked in communications at Bear Stearns. Russell then launched his own firm and then uh, joined up with Prozac Partners. Elliot Mizraki is Senior Vice President for Content and Strategy at the Page Society, the pre premier organization for CCOs. 
Elliot hosts the podcast, The New CCO, for Page, on which he talks with CCOs about the challenges they face, trends in the industry, and sort of best practices. Really terrific podcast. Prior to joining Page, Elliot worked in the communications world for PR agencies, government, and the entertainment industry. Welcome. We're so glad to have you all with us today. Welcome to The Crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communications that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives. Hello, this is Gary Shepard. And hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University. Eleanor, let's begin with you as we celebrate our 100th podcast at The Crux. What do we know of recent podcast trends? And what do these trends imply for those who might be considering the creation of a podcast? Well, thank you for having me. I think the good news for all of you here is that we have not reached peak podcasting. (laughs) It is something that audience still want, and specifically audiences in corporate settings. I think one thing that I'm seeing a lot in my reporting is, is that employees want to find new ways to engage with their employers. They want to receive information in new formats and new mediums. And so we're seeing a lot of corporations kind of create their own newsrooms and their own podcasts. Um, six and 10 people listen to podcasts while they're multitasking. And so we've seen a lot of companies put out podcasts, quick ones, news of the day, translate their internal memos into audio. And it seems to have a really nice effect, especially with younger employees. Eleanor, anybody that stands out um, uh, in the corporate world that you think is doing a good job with podcasting? I mean, unsurprisingly, I think Spotify is doing a great job, right? They've (laughs) definitely mastered podcasting. But I think that one one company that's always being brought up to me when it comes to owned media is Goldman Sachs. They they kind of created this whole concept long ago and have really capitalized on it. And not only do they use podcasting internally, but they also use it externally to reach all of their stakeholders. Terrific. So while I have you, we had Nick Johnston. Axios publisher with us on the crux uh, this past fall. And we learned a bit about smart brevity and the purpose and direction of Axios. Smart brevity, of course, being a book and um, a program, I guess, for uh, helping to simplify communications, particularly in the corporate setting. Uh, I'm curious, how would you articulate your goals for your newsletter, which is so good, and who's the audience you really are trying to reach? Well, thank you. Um, I'm trying to reach everyone who communicates, right? Like this isn't just for CCOs. It isn't just for people who work in communications. It's for anyone who manages someone, anyone who is always in communication, anyone who's on social media. I think um, I think communication is a key function no matter what your job title is. And so my the way that I look at Axios Communicators is it's a way to uplift the entire function, one that's always been kind of viewed as administrative or secondary. Um, I think we've seen over the past few years the importance and the value of communication. Um, Axios was founded on effective communication, right? Like Mm -hmm. our founders realized nobody's reading our reporting. We're not grabbing their (laughs) attention. 
how do we break through? And that's not an issue that is unique to journalists. It's an issue that happens inside the workplace, um, no matter what you're writing, no matter who your audience is. It's really, really a crowded space. And so um, what I hope to do is shine a light on not just the messaging aspect of communications, but the strategic delivery and distribution of content, which is just as important. That's great. Um, Elliot, let me bring you into this. The, the Page Society's uh, mission is to strengthen uh, enterprise the enterprise leadership role of the CCO, the Chief Communications Officer, uh, by embracing the highest professional standards, advancing the way communications is understood, practiced, and taught, and providing a collegial and dynamic learning environment. Uh, how does your podcast, The New CCO, support that mission? We're still trying to figure it out. <laughs> no. So um, so first of all, I just want to say congratulations on this 100th episode, huge milestone, and have admired you both for many, many years. Um, so th th part of the answer is actually in the mission statement itself. Paige uh, seeks to advance the way the communications is understood, practiced, and taught. And so on understood, it's uh, kind of by non-communicators, the rest of the C-suite uh, and the rest of the business community understanding and appreciating the value that the communications function creates for the enterprise. Practiced is, of course, within the profession, CCOs in particular, and taught is in the academy. Um, so I, I think there are a couple of ways that the podcast supports that mission. Firstly, uh, it's to expose CCOs themselves to stories of best practices and what's happening at the leading edge of the profession. Our podcast actually grew out of a project uh, that was kind of stalled. So in 2007, we had um, started to think about the CCO as a creator of what we then call digital engagement systems, these enterprise-wide systems for managing stakeholder engagement at all levels, through all touch points. And we set out to find out companies that were doing this really well and didn't find any. <laughs> and so we, we didn't have a lot of evidence to say, here's how you do this. But what we decided to do instead was to create the podcast as a platform for telling pieces of that story as it developed. And so it started out with a focus on digital engagement. And so firstly, it's about sharing that within the profession, helping CCOs learn from each other uh, what works and importantly, what doesn't. But I think the other thing, which is a little bit more aspirational, you know, Paige's mission is to strengthen the enterprise leadership role of the CCO. On one hand, we do that by strengthening CCOs themselves in their capabilities, but there's also an element of that that is about uh, raising awareness and understanding across the C-suite of the types of impact that the CCO herself can have. And so the main audience that we have is communicators, but we take a really accessible storytelling approach so that uh, the listenership uh, can be non-communicators as well, who are interested in better understanding that function. And so uh, that's how we seek to advance the profession through the podcast. That's great. Uh, Russell, same question. How would you describe what you are trying to do on your press profiles podcast and, and you know, kind of who's your audience? You know, what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. Mike, you know, it's interesting. I, I always think that if you ask, if you talk to any reporter, they'll tell you, that the most interesting stories they write are the ones that are, are on the back of, of interesting people. 
and the profiles that they, they write. Those have seem to be their, their favorites. And I think the same is true for reporters. I think it is so interesting to hear their stories about how they got into the business, why they, why they gravitated towards journalism. What are the triumphs and the, and the challenges they've faced uh, since they've uh, been there? We're all sort of in the same ecosystem. And I found that getting to know one another on that really sort of personal level is so helpful to any communicator um, to any executive, to reporters, to fellow reporters, to, to people who want to be journalists in, in the future. So I, um, it's been just a, a, a real pleasure to sit down with so many leading journalists in, in, in the space and really hear their story. That's our, the, you know, the tagline is press profiles, what's their story, right? Um, because I think it's, it's just so interesting to dive into it. And so when I started you know, I thought, okay, I know communicators are going to want to hear from these reporters and what makes them tick and how they operate. And certainly it's been interesting. You sit down with someone like Greg Zuckerman, who uh, at the Wall Street Journal and he'll, um, on his episode, he talked all about how he gets people to talk, right? Even if they don't want to talk. And then, or, or how he says, you know, you can avoid <laughs> me and you don't have to, you know, you can say, I'm not going to get the story, but I have a pretty track, good track record of eventually getting the story, right? Uh, and just hearing those types of, uh, of things, I think, uh, again, narrows the gap, puts us all on a more personal level um, back and forth, which is, which is, which is really helpful. And so I think the communicators out there really enjoy it. I think the executives um, that, that are going to sit down with these individuals love hearing their story before they have that, that meeting. And then there's this whole other audience of, of the folks that Mike, you and, and Gary work with all the time, as, aspiring journalists who uh, really think about communications and want to learn from people who have done it well. And I guess, uh, not surprisingly, but the other audience that, that's really gravitated towards it is fellow reporters. They like hearing each other's stories. Shanali Basik from, from uh, Bloomberg hmm. said, I'm obsessed with this podcast. I love, I'm so inspired by hearing the, the stories of my, of, my, of my colleagues and other folks. Do their, do, their own stories, do their own stories in some ways shape how they view the world and write about it? I think so. I think so in terms of where they've come from, what they've dealt with, um, whether they've had a Matt Wirtz at the Wall Street Journal spend a lot of time in Russia and, and you know, sort of understands that that world and that's helped shape him and how he goes uh, ab about it. Some people oh, yeah. who had, um, you know, had dealt with Stephanie Meadow. We just sat down from mm -hmm. Inc. and Fast Company and her, her whole thing is, you know, the first job she got was this the, the first time she ended up in the business was dealing with small businesses um, and, and really having to understand that world. So it was only fitting that she mm. end up at companies like Fast Company and Inc. and how these companies grow. And so, yeah, I think their personal stories um, and, and how they got into the space very much shapes what they eventually talk about. Now, Eleanor, I was fascinated in the last couple of weeks uh, by reading um, a piece that you wrote, the, the Modern Communicators Playbook. Um, if and you, and you, in it, you write, if communicators hope to regain control of the message and reestablish trust, uh, their crisis management playbooks must now include strategies to combat misinformation and disinformation online. How prepared do you really think chief communicators are when it comes to combating misinformation and disinformation? Not very. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's research out there that says 28% don't have a formal plan and 23% don't have a plan at all. So that's about wow. half of them who are just kind of going through the motions. I think it's also really important when we traditionally talk about- Is there a page that, is there a page in their plans that just says duck? <laughs> I mean, not even that probably, right? But I would say that we used to think about misinformation and disinformation solely in a political sense, um, but false news reaches audiences seven times faster than the truth. Fake tweets are 70% more likely to be retweeted than, than truthful tweets. And so with numbers like that, you have to understand that it doesn't just affect politicians and, and government entities. This can impact um, corporate corporate companies and brands and their reputation. Plus it sits out there on Right, exactly. It used to be that a crisis was only if you were on the cover of the New York Times. Now one viral TikTok could take down a company and it could be everything from, you know, the Southwest meltdown and all that we saw on TikTok generating that buzz to something as silly as like West Elm Caleb, which if you're on TikTok, you might've seen that trend. It does impact reputation at the end of the day. And so modern communicators have to be able to play in that space. That is the new battleground and you have to be comfortable there. Any tips or crucial elements that modern communicators should have in their playbooks? And well, first, I mean, have, have a playbook, right? <laughs> I think that's <laughs> number one. <laughs> have a go. playbook, have a plan, recognize that you don't have to stick to it. In, in the article that you mentioned, um, I, I interviewed several experts and they gave advice on, you know, establishing a rapid response team, creating a solid information hub where people can go at all hours for the most up-to-date information, find a key messenger, um, somebody who is comfortable over communicating and can provide the most updated information when necessary and be a face behind the message. I think that's another thing that's super important is that this used to all happen on Twitter where you had this faceless, nameless brand voice tweet. And now on TikTok, Mm -hmm. there has to be a face behind it, right? There has to be a spokesperson. Mm -hmm. So that spokesperson doesn't necessarily need to be your CEO, but you need to have somebody who's willing to go out there and over communicating and then meet audiences where they are, right? They are on social media. Mm -hmm. That is where things spiral out of control. The other thing to keep in mind is that your employees are on social media. They're watching it. So, um, you know, I don't know if your board members are necessarily on social media, but their kids are. So it's just something something mm-hmm. to really pay attention to and not overlook. Um, but yeah, thank you for mentioning that article. I think that's something we're going to pay a lot of attention to, especially as we gear up for um, the 2024 election. I think misinformation is something that our newsroom is paying very close attention to across all fronts. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Crux. On The Crux, we discuss the intersection of communications, business, and society. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and on our website at thecruxpodcast.org. Now, let's get back to the episode. You know, one of the other things that occurs to me that um, chief communicators need to pay attention to, too, is the fact that, you know, all of these mediums, all of these channels are always on. Uh, 
And so in some ways, you always have to be on yourself. Uh, that may create a burden with, with budgets and how one is organized. But I know Gary, when he was at GE and in my various roles through, through the years, it's like at, at some point, we all got to the notion that uh, we're going to be always on and we need somebody who's always there monitoring what's happening and ready to engage. And, and particularly, Mike, when you're in a multinational you know, we used to call it uh, for crisis communications, you know, sort of following the sun. We had to have someone. Yeah, as exactly, the world turns. <laughs> uh, up all the time. And Eleanor, thank you for mm -hmm. those tips. I, I teach crisis communication at uh, BU, and I'm going to steal thoroughly from uh, from your article. <laughs> talk about it. And Russell, thank you, by the way, for the the podcast. You know, I've jousted over the years with, I'm sure Mike has too, with many of the people you have on your show. Um, and sometimes in the heat of the battle, it's, you know, you might even draw blood, but uh, it's so great to hear them humanize and hear their stories. I, I really, I really do enjoy it. David Faber, of course, is someone that I've talked to a thousand times in my career. Yeah. And it was good, good to hear David, he was great. David's story. Yeah, and hear about how he wanted to be, Jeopardy, in Je you know, the exactly. Jeopardy tryout and the host and all those types of things that you wouldn't normally uh, think about. I just wanted to touch on Eleanor's story because I, I do think it was so interesting. It's And it's something that's, you know, this whole concept of deep fakes and everything mm -hmm. else that's going to quickly emerge and be part of this, uh, a part of our world sooner, I think, than any of us can really uh, uh, imagine the one other thing that I think about in terms of times like this is I always put it under the category of brand insulation. You know, how do you insulate your brand so that it is a little bit more impervious to, to situations like this? And I think we're seeing more and more of we talked a little bit mm. about owned channels. Right. Um, and what you're doing to communicate all the time through owned channels. Eleanor mentioned Goldman Sachs. Gary, I think, you know, GE was the I always look at as the originator in terms of GE reports and how you guys created that whole news, uh, almost a news outlet just covering uh, what you guys uh, uh, did there. But I do think, you know, your website your social media handles, you know, your email lists, all those things where you can quickly get to your constituents uh, and, and really, if necessary, set the record straight or, or clarify or correct things becomes more uh, and more important uh, all the time. And then the other part of it is influencers and the influential people out there. I always say the time that you need to be going and looking for friends is not when you need them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> right? You want to be doing, you want to set that up beforehand and you want to feel like there are people out there who can set the record straight for you if there is questions about you or your brand. And those could be uh, outside, you know, uh, influencers, outside companies, other folks who can really uh, have a voice in that, yeah. in that conversation. Because I think, I think this is coming at us fast and quick and it's going to be uh it's going to be a whole new challenge. For, uh, I always loved when we were in a crisis at GE and they would say, Gary, quick, get, get us some third party support. You know, and I would say, OK, well, who, who's out there that can speak to the fact that we can't roll our commercial paper or having, you know, more difficulty doing it? I, you know, I think that audience right. is pretty small or that number. So um, but it's it, it is something I talk about in, in crisis classes, uh, the credibility of third parties. Russell, just quick follow up on Eleanor's point about missing disinformation. How much of that is occupying your time with clients these days? 
I think it's, I, you know, I do think that you have to be on the lookout and, and see what things are, are happening. I, I think it's more of a, as what I talked about, putting the steps in place so that you're prepared for it when it does happen. It's that yeah. brand insulation, it's having conversations uh, around, uh, around it. Um, but you, but, but, and then the monitoring yeah. is huge, the, you know, keeping an eye on what's being said and how it's being said, and then being ready to react, uh, is, is a big part Excellent. of what we focus on. So Elliot, you, you have a very broad view of communicators and what they do, the value they deliver, uh, to their enterprises, their organizations, uh, you know, you have page has the, you know, the leading smartest and best and brightest. Uh, out there in many cases. Uh, in the field of communications right now, um, are we emphasizing the right topics on podcasts like this, on yours, in Eleanor's newsletter, Russell's podcast? Are we all talking about the right things with regard to the future of communication? I think largely, yes. You know, uh, Paige uh, thinks about the role of the communications function as being one that looks after what we call corporate character. Uh, what is the unique and differentiated identity of the enterprise? And that includes things like its mission, purpose, values, culture, business model, brand, strategy, all these things that should be holistically aligned to create trust and authenticity. And so even this last conversation about mis- and disinformation, the implication for communications functions is this is a huge threat to the ability of enterprises to build and maintain trust with critical stakeholders. And so on one level, I think that's timeless and, and will always be important. I think another is uh, just stakeholder capitalism. There's a huge shift in the expectations that stakeholders have of business. Uh, I think another really important one that especially since the beginning of COVID has become front and center is employees. You know, it's, I, I was in a session yesterday and somebody was saying, you know, they're in internal communications. It's not taught. It's not, you know, pe people sort of find their way into it. Very few people come up saying, I want to go into that. But more and more, it's becoming obvious that the critical resource of the enterprise is its people. And you have CCOs thinking about employer brand and strong cultures and uh, ways to build and foster strong relationships with employees to inspire them to help their enterprises be what, what they want them to be. And so I think that's a really critical issue that's becoming more front and center. I think if there's one issue that is not yet at the fore enough, in my opinion, uh, it is technology. The rapid pace of evolution in technology, uh, all the ways that it's creating new opportunities and challenges for the profession. Um, I'll, I'll save some of my thoughts on the particulars around technology for later, but I think that's an area where CCOs really need to step up uh, and not just in their own mm -hmm. uh, functions, adoption of new technology, but also in providing counsel and guidance in the enterprise's adoption of technology more broadly. Great point. Yeah, it's as, as somebody once told me, the pace of change will never be slower. Hmm. Um, you know, you think about the, the challenges that corporations face, organizations face, and the impact of the speed of change and the use of greater technology certainly impacts this function. 
Now I want to step back a little bit. We got into a little bit of a conversation around uh, the role of journalists talking about Russell's podcast. And Eleanor, I'm just kind of, you had a, this wonderful interview with Mixing Board founder, uh, Sean Garrett, and you talked about uh, the relationship between public relations professionals and reporters, and that you know, you've noticed a little bit of a breakdown, I think was the word you used, in that relationship. And, you know, Gary and I have had to manage those relationships. You had to manage those relationships. Uh, can you tell us more about what you're noticing in terms of this breakdown and, and, and whether or not it can be bridged? I mean, I think you look no further than Elon Musk, right? Like he, his, his press email account when journalists email it, press at twitter.com, the auto reply is a, a poop emoji, right? That is a prime example of this breakdown that we're dealing with. Um, and, and, you know, a, a fear as, as a new journalist, a fear is that more companies follow that lead and rely more on their own content, rely more on those influencers, those marketing efforts. Um, I think there's constantly a question of, do we need the press? And if so, how much and when do we need to reply to all of their inquiries? Does that help us? Um, and, you know, you all mentioned jousting with reporters. I think that's a really great way to explain it. I also think it's important to remember that the R in PR stands for relations. It's not a transaction, right? And that is something that has kind of shocked me as I've taken on this, like I said, new reporter role is, is the amount of just pitches and transactional incoming that I get is a little alarming and shocking. And so I, I understand the breakdown on the journalism side. I understand um how PR professionals don't always want to be on defense and want to be more proactive. Um, but it is all about relationship building. And I do think that, you know, the, the, the two entities need each other. Um, I was, I was in a session recently with 30 CCOs and two of them were talking about just ending their media relations operation altogether and focusing solely on blog posts, wow. focusing solely yeah. on owned and marketing. And I think that, you know, I think Putin does that, right? <laughs> it's, I mean, we laugh, but it is something that's happening. And like I said, look no further than than Elon Musk, who is a very influential leader in this country. Yeah. And, yeah. and by the way, yeah. Eleanor, yeah. Uh, you know, I laughed at Mike's joke, but this is, I mean, super important topic. And what Musk was poop emoji responding to was a rise in anti-Semitic posts on Twitter. That was one of them anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Where someone asked him a question, yeah. a, re a reporter asked the, the company a question and the response was a poop emoji. So, um, you, you know, this is um, a topic yeah. that should be discussed. And honestly, I think if Musk doesn't want to discuss it with the journalists, he may have others who want to discuss it with him who have a little bit more power over his company, like, members of Congress uh, and such. So, and, and his, his own, own investors. investors. Exactly. I'd also point out that um, Musk was speaking recently at a Morgan Stanley conference, and he was asked about 
public relations. And he said, I think I think the right name for public relations is propaganda. And so there is just clearly a misunderstanding of of what communication professionals do and the importance of this reporter um, communication relationship. And so um, hopefully we can get him to listen to this podcast and you all can <laughs> win yeah. him over. Exactly. <laughs> Russell, let's bring you into the loop here, or back into the loop here. Uh, you've occupied both spaces. You've been a journalist. You've been a PR professional. How do you think about the state of the relationship? Uh, and and what should the relationship ultimately look like? And when is it at its best? Yeah, it's funny. I, <clears throat> I, I folk, you know, Eleanor, your comment about relations public relations and, and the relationship between reporters and companies and executives and communications professionals. I mean, that really was much of the genesis behind press profiles, right? To, to, to personalize, um, to put a face and a story uh, behind the byline. And I think, hopefully, I, I think there's a greater understanding of, of, of both sides when they now enter into a conversation of, of where the other person is coming from. Yeah, Mike, you mentioned I came from, I, I was a reporter for eight years. I loved it. I did not want to go to the quote unquote dark side of public relations, you know, or at least I had fears uh, about that. And, and when I decided to make the move, um, I, I, you know, I, as I said, I had concerns about it, but when I decided to make the move, I really said to myself, wait a minute, I am just still a reporter. Um, I am just a reporter on the inside of an organization, really looking for the interesting stories and, and how I can tell those stories to a broader audience on, on, the, on the outside. And the reason that I had a little bit of concern about going to the public relations side is as a reporter, you know, I'd, you, could be, uh, you could be bothered by a public relations person or they wouldn't be helpful. And I said to myself, well, if I can just be that if I can make their job easier, if I can work with reporters in a way that provides them with an interesting story that they couldn't normally get elsewhere, that's a benefit to them. And, and, and I think they'll see that benefit. And at the same time, understand where they're coming from and why they're pursuing a certain story and make sure that they have all the facts and the truth that are going to make sure that that story is accurate, because that's a big, uh, a big focus uh, of it. And so that's what I've tried to do over time. But I do think understanding where the other person is coming from, what their objectives are, is really imperative um, because it can really help to improve the relationship. And I think that's really in, in, important because, yeah, you could get to a situation where both sides just are at a standoff and they're not interacting. And I'm not sure that that's better mm -hmm. for anyone. I don't think it's better for the company. And I certainly don't think it's better mm -hmm. for journalism. You know, if I can jump in and just put a little bit of topspin on the point that both Eleanor and Russell made, uh, it's ironic that PR has a PR problem in a way, that it's misunderstood as a practice. Mm -hmm. um, well, 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 and to your point, we sometimes refer to ourselves as communicators, not public relations mm -hmm. professionals, you know, which is interesting because some of us actually think that communications is but a part that's exactly where i was going you know relations. it's just the name communications suggests the kind of transactional practice that eleanor was mentioning right we say things to you you say things to us and there's that interaction but actually the function is and should be much more about relationships uh i think i think that goes a long way to explaining musk's disdain 
for press. It's not a relationship function. He views it as propaganda because he views it as transactional. You know, it's, I'd like to extend this conversation a little bit. I, I think, Elliot, you may remember back in 2018, Steve Perlstein, who was a columnist at the Washington Post or business reporter at the time, said, you know, business reporting is dead. And one of the reasons why was that there were no longer opportunities to talk to public relations people in companies, you know, that they would get these corporate language emails back to them rather than having a conversation with somebody <laughs> who understood the company and its business model, et cetera. So this has been around for a while. Um, and on top of that, I just read an amazing story about how um, Gannett <clears throat> has hollowed out a lot of its news reporting in communities across the country at an alarming rate. And so these news desert problems <clears throat> that we're seeing or emergence of news deserts is, is um, just sort of being compounded. So for all of you, just quickly, how should companies get their information out? Eleanor, you, you mentioned podcasts and blogs and videos. Is just good old-fashioned media relations and discussion and CEO visibility, how do you break through what is an increasingly actually shrinking earned media world? I think you have to be very, very targeted in your approach, right? Um, and and I do I do want to back up and just plug that, yes, the the fall of local media is happening, but at Axios, we're telling the op opposite story. Um, we've we've launched I think twenty seven local newsletters across the country, hoping to get to thirty. So where newsrooms are shrinking across the country, we're we're trying to really um, invest because. I think there's a trust piece. Um, I think there's the, again, targeting your audiences. If you're a company that's based in a small town and you want to reach these audiences, that's where you can go. They trust the local media. Um, so so we're kind of taking that opposite approach and we're we're in a place of privilege to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think more than ever, you just have to be very, very targeted in your media relations approach and also recognize that, you know, it, it, it might not be the outlet that you're going for. It might be the specific reporter. We're seeing reporters go to Substack and, mm -hmm. and be very, very successful in in their influence. So I think um, media relations professionals just have to be more strategic and more targeted in their outreach. Russell and Elliot, any any thoughts on how to get the message out to places where there aren't as many reporters as there they, there used to be. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I just think it makes our job harder, but that's okay. I mean, I think that there's the, that's sort of balanced with with lots of other channels uh, to tell your story. So it really, to me, it's it's the ability to find what's interesting within an organization, whether that's your viewpoints, whether that's something you're doing differently within your organization. I mean, those, if, if you find a good story and you can tell that story effectively, I think there's an audience for it. I think reporters are looking to share information that's either helpful to their readers, viewers, or listeners, or informative to them in some way. And so the challenge for communications professionals probably is that there's so much news out there that you really have to find what's interesting within your organization 
to cut through the noise. And you know, what once um, I got a call from my boss that I think every PR person has gotten a call, which was the story they wrote is not right. Like that's not the story that we're trying to tell. And um, you know, someone on that email thread said, you know, earned media is a blunt instrument, right? So you're, you know, 15, 20, 30 years ago, those were the gatekeepers to mass audience and mass audience was the way to reach everyone. Uh, now the media diet is so much more fragmented. And so to Eleanor's point, earned media is really important. You have to have those trusted relationships with journalists and they are trusted sources of information for many, many people. But more and more technology is creating much sharper instruments for us to use to engage people as individuals, to understand them through data, to reach them through the channels that they're using to meet them where they are. And so I think it's a yes and, right? It's earned media is really important, but it's part of a much uh, more textured and complicated uh, media mix that enterprises need to take advantage of. And, and don't forget, I mean, the validation you get from a third party talking about you is, is always going to be more significant than if you were saying something about yourself. Right? The old saying is advertising is when you say nice things about yourself, but PR is when other people say nice things about you. So a lot of what you just talked about, you used the word confidence, and, and, and both you and Russell kind of have addressed trust here as well. And one item in the news uh, that is causing for some uh, concern about trust and confidence in communications, even though at, at, at first glance, it seems to be a wonderful tool, is chat GPT. Um, and Elliot, it seems as though everyone's talking about it thinking about it or writing about it, out of curiosity, are you using it? And how do you expect it will impact the communications profession, both near-term and long-term? You know, Mike, maybe soon nobody will be writing about it because only ChatGPT will be writing about it. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a few thoughts here. This is something I've been really focused on lately. Um, I have used some of the generative AI tools uh, there are a lot of fun to play with. I think it's still mm -hmm. very nascent. Uh, and so you hear a lot about, uh, you know, it's not accurate or it's not giving me exactly what I need. Uh, Kevin Roos's piece in The Times was deeply un unsettling um, about his conversation with, uh, with Bing's AI. But I think the potential is enormous. I, I do think that the hype here... Uh, though it's not always the case, I, I do think this is a transformational milestone and, and for, for a few reasons. So in the near term, um, I do think that one of the things that isn't spoken about as much is that uh, these generative AIs will transform and reinvent the way that we interact with all sorts of systems. Um, I, I used to ask myself, I, I wonder when we'll have to stop using keyboards you know, it feels sort of rudimentary to be <clears throat> tapping away at this plastic device to communicate with the system. I think the interactions that we'll have with our systems will be much more conversational because of gener generative AI. Mm -hmm. Eleanor, have you heard anything from your contacts about how, how they're using um, generative AI or chat GPT? Earlier this week, I interviewed Frank Shaw, who's the CCO of Microsoft, and asked him yeah. just that, you know, what percentage of your team is using chat GPT or these AI tools? 
Um, he wouldn't say, but he did tell me that he gives his team a B. So I have to think that. that they're starting- mm-hmm. And was he doing this interview, by the way, from a, from a beach <laughs> no. with a drink in the hand? Yeah. Um, but I will say, I mean, the other thing that he pointed out, which I think might be be a simple way to look at it, but if 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 it's true, it's very interesting. He equates it to just yeah. a transformation of of communication tools, right? From the quill to the pen to the typewriter right. to the computer to the robot. Um, and so that's obviously something that we're paying a lot of attention to. Personally, I'm really excited about it for uh, data and research gathering purposes. Um, mm-hmm. the, the other way that, that Frank mentioned that his team was using it, which I thought was fascinating is, um, they come up with a blog post or a statement. It goes through all the red tape, legal, all the different sign-offs that you have in a corporate setting. And then they run the final product back through the AI and ask for the main points. And if the AI can't find it and it's been diluted so much in that editing process, they need to start over. So I do think there are really interesting strategic ways to use the tool, um, so that's what we're watching. That's what we're paying attention to. We will see. Time will tell. Yeah. Well, I just want to say to the students listening, um, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, Gary, you know that they also have a program that can tell whether you can tell. Exactly. We're watching each other, Russell. You're entirely yeah, right. That's right. That's right. So, so one last question for all of you. Um, you've paid a, probably a tad bit of attention to this podcast, but to a lot of other podcasts. Um, any advice as to uh, what what the crux should do going forward as we go to our 101st episode and beyond, to quote Buzz Lightyear? Uh, I'll start with you, Russell. Yeah, I mean, I think that ComTech uh, is is really interesting, whether it is ChatGPT or whether it's some of the other tools that are out there that that are really important to bring communication sort of to the to the next level to help us be more efficient, uh, to look at platforms where people are talking to one another, all those types of things. So I think ComTech is, is a big part of it, and. But I don't, I, I don't want to, to, to lose the storytelling, right? That's really Im- imperative of how you communicate. What's an effective way to tell your story? Um, as Eleanor mentioned, you know, maybe, the, maybe the mechanisms change over time. But inherently, if you're going to be successful at this job, and if you're going to help your, your clients, your, your company be better, uh, and achieve their goals and make a bigger impact, you're going to have to be an effective communicator. And so I think that what you guys, like what you and Gary are both doing in terms of, of, of shedding a light on that and, and helping people really understand how to do that effectively is really, really important. I agree with all that. Um, I, I, I would go back to the stakeholder capitalism uh, point that I made earlier. I think uh, talking about the role of business in society uh, and making sure that we're helping this profession enable their enterprises to play that role more and more uh, is very important. Um, I, I, I wish, actually, that I would have added to my list the point that we spoke about earlier about the health of journalism. Uh, totally was, I was applauding Eleanor. I think local journalism is critical to a healthy democracy. And so I think talking about the evolution of journalism and the fourth estate is 
critically important for our profession. Uh, and then obviously technology. Um, it's uh, the pace of change is so fast. And I think, you know, just as, as a little anecdote, uh, at a page event about a year ago, I led a session on the responsible and ethical adoption of new technology and had about eight people join for a very nice conversation. Next door, there was a conversation about the metaverse. Uh, and we could hear them through the wall. It was like 100 people. They were all excited. I think the natural tendency is to gravitate towards new capabilities and their potential. Um, and so I, I think what's important is to measure that with a healthy dose of uh, a broad stakeholder view and understanding what the what the true implications are. And so I think thinking about not only the capabilities, but also their implications is important. Mm-hmm. Eleanor, you get the last word on this. Wow. Thank you. Last word of the hundredth episode. I'll bring it back full circle. I mean, I, th- I think, I think we have as communicators, we can't only craft a perfect message. We have to make sure that we're delivering it in, in a unique hyper-focused way, right? Like it could be the best product, the best branding, the best message, the best rollout. But if you can't reach people, doesn't matter. So being creative, using different platforms, whether it's podcasting, whether it's social media, whether it's, you know, reaching out to Substack writers, whatever it might be, finding the ways to really engage with your various audiences is going to drive effective communication. Terrific. Well, thank you to all three of you for being on um, the centennial episode of The Crux of the Story. Eleanor Hawkins, Axios Communicator, every Thursday, right? Um, and people subscribe to that, and it'll pop into your into your uh, inbox every Thursday. So that's terrific. Russell Press Profiles um, is on all platforms, yeah, I assume, subscribe, right? Subscribe yeah. wherever you get uh, podcasts. If you want to see the transcripts, those are available on LinkedIn under my profile, the newsletter. The transcripts come through that. Uh, Press, Pro- Press Profiles Podcast has, has all the episodes as well. So yeah, thank you guys. Every every couple of weeks, every couple of weeks we put those out. Excellent. And Elliot, pa- and Elliot Page Society, the your new CCO, um, wherever podcasts are available, I assume. Indeed, Excellent. we're working. We're working on this season now, so more to come soon. Terrific. Thank you all again uh, for being on the Crux. Thank you. Congratulations to you guys. Thanks for listening to The Crux, and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter, and you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.